This is episode 76 of the Prepper Website Podcast. Today's articles are How to DIY Compost and Compost Bins, Being Honest with Yourself, a Prepping Reality Check, and the 8 Most Likely Disaster Scenarios Countdown, number 3, Civil War. Hey, I'm Todd Sepulveda, the editor of PrepperWebsite.com. This podcast is an audible version with some commentary of articles that have been posted on Prepper Website, a daily aggregator of preparedness information. These articles are some of the best of the best that have been recently posted on PrepperWebsite.com. All article links and show information can be found on the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com. Hey, don't forget to register if you're listening to this on Monday. Uh, this is Monday's podcast, and uh, if you happen to be listening, this is the last day to register for the Legacy Food uh, Mega Sampler Pack over at Ed That Matters. I have a link that will be in the the show notes, and so you can go directly there. Hey, I'm starting to do something a little different. Uh, in the past, I was not linking to the the articles on the show notes as they would go out to iTunes and some of the other um, some of the other uh, podcast uh, catchers out there. But I started doing that. So hopefully that's beneficial to you um, if you are like using iTunes or you're using the Stitcher app. I mean, I don't know what it would look like on the Stitcher app, uh, but uh, I know, you know, on iTunes, it, it I know the way that it, I'm setting it up. And so it should show up really nice on there. And so you can just, if you want to go to that, you don't have to go directly to the Prepper Website Podcast. You can go directly to that um, to that article. So hopefully that is a benefit to you and it's not messing up. Uh, I know at one point there were some, you know, some things that I was doing that was messing up the feed a little bit. So hopefully it it doesn't mess up the feed. Uh, I'll be continuing to keep track of that, uh, as I go. Uh, had a great weekend. I hope you had a great weekend. Uh, had some time to, uh, well, we had a graduation party, so we had family and friends over, did some some barbecue, got in the pool. It was the first time I got in the pool, uh, you know, this year. And uh, still a little cool. You know, you would imagine that it would be a little bit warmer, uh, you know, this time uh, of the year in June already. But still a little cool, but we had a lot of fun. Uh, got to write a, a long article about the preparedness community that hopefully I'll be releasing this week. Uh, went to church uh, and uh, had a had a nice little nap. So I, uh, it's, it's, of course, it's late on Sunday night as I'm doing this, but uh, I feel good, feel refreshed. So let's go ahead and get into this one. I have some uh, really good articles here, and I think I want to give a little bit of commentary on each, each uh, one of them as we go. So uh, let's go ahead and start off. Uh, the first one comes to us from Survival Sullivan, and it's how to DIY compost and compost bin. Um, as I'm reading this, I do want to say that I think everybody, everybody who has a yard, let me say that, right? So, I mean, if you're living in an apartment, you're doing apartment prepping, um, I, I don't think you can do this. You, know, you might be able to do a worm bin uh, pretty easily, but uh, if, you, uh, if you have a yard, you should be composting. Uh, you, should be, you should have a garden, even if it's small, you're, you're gardening in containers, but you should be composting. Uh, there's no reason not to do that. Uh, and so uh, hopefully this article and this information will uh, inspire you to do that because it's not very hard at all. So let's get reading on this one. If you thought about buying bins for your compost from Amazon or any other place, you probably wondered if you can make your own. Why spend 50 to 100 bucks on something that looks nice and takes away the pleasure of making it yourself? And this article will tell you two things. 
how number one how to make your own compost to help you get a higher yield from your garden and number two how to make several types of DIY compost bins with parts you should have in your home right now videos included so let's dive in what is compost to go by textbook definition compost is a mixture of decaying organic material used to fertilize the soil Gathering plant material like grass, clippings, leaves, and vegetable peels and putting them into a pile or compost bin usually makes it up. The matter will decompose as a result of aerobic bacteria, fungi, and other organisms. Why do I need it? It would be quicker to sum up why you don't need it. Compost is completely essential to speeding up the growth, the growth speed and quality of any crop. It's organic miracle grow, but stronger. Compost is essentially recycled matter turned into fresh, new, vitamin-enriched soil, which is right for planting just about anything. Compost is comprised of plant material, certainly, but their chemical breakdown is only half of the process. Since the beginning of time, agriculturists have used compost to ensure longevity and health for their crops, though they didn't really know the why behind it. In the last 50 years or so, we've taken a good hard look at the biological breakdown of compost. Compost needs to breathe. Microorganisms, fungi, and even worms aid in the decomposition of organic plant, plant material or matter, I'm sorry, to speed up the process. Don't be alarmed. If you reach your hands into a compost heap and feel the warmth or intense heat dwelling inside, you're not alone. It's just part of the process of decomposition and aeration. If you're ever concerned that spontaneous combustion could be an issue, simply refer to these tips on building a proper compost pile to avoid such an incident. All right, so one of the things I wanted to say, uh, he mentions that spontaneous combustion a couple of times. I mean, I mean, I I compost. Uh, I'm not, you know, I don't. I, I'm not going to say like I have a huge compost bin, but I have a compost bin made out of uh, uh, pot, you know, pallets, right? Um, I know some of y'all are doing it like on a big, big scale, and some of you are doing it on a smaller scale. But uh, even with that, even with all the articles that I have read on Purple Website, I have never read of uh, a compost pile spontaneously combusting. So uh, I, I'm not saying that it can't happen, but, uh, um, you know, so I, I'm sure that it maybe has happened out there. Uh, but I, I think that's going to be very, very rare in, in most cases. Um, but compost bins can uh, and compost piles can make up quite a bit of heat. I know, I mean, there are people out there that use use it to heat up. I remember Rawls, uh, Jane Wesley Rawls talking about it one time on a, on a podcast uh, that they used it, you know, with uh, wire, copper, copper hoses or whatever uh, in on the, the bottom of a compost bin to heat up their water, right? And uh, so that is, is possible to do that. All right, because you're because you are creating so much heat uh, doing that. But spontaneously combusting, I don't. I've never really read about that before. Um, if you want your crops to grow rapidly and fruitfully, you're going to need compost. There is no second guessing it. However, some ways are wrong in how to go about doing this. Leave a pile of compostable items in the yard for some time, and sure, you'll get a heap of compost ready to spread across your field. There are, there are better methods to incur a richer and healthier soil for your crops. So let's get into it. What you need for A-plus compost. We've covered what it is and why it's important, but now you're going to need to apply a small amount of effort to start the decom decomposition process. 
You can expect anywhere from two months to four months to get ready to use compost for your crops. A compost bin you'll start here to speed up the process. Leave, leaving messy piles in the yard puts your compost at risk to the elements in their key stages of creation, as well as animals using it as a place to do their business. A good compost bin doesn't follow a dimensional requirement. However, if you're looking to avoid spontaneous combustion, as I mentioned earlier, you should stick to an area of three cubic feet. It provides good ventilation, nearly promising you won't get rotten compost. Recommended below are the components to an inexpensive effective compost bin. A plastic outside trash barrel with lockable lid, some sort of a platform such as few, a few wooden planks or bricks, Drill and screw to attach the barrel to said platform. Drills second use puncture holes every 5 inches on container for aeration. This project should only take you about 5 minutes in total. In no time at all, you will be ready to make a compost. Below is a video example from Oscar Carmona, owner of the Healing Grounds Nursery in Santa Barbara, California. Another option for large amounts would be a plastic barrel case. This is typically an enclosure to keep your barrel safe from large critters such as raccoons and possums, but when properly reinforced from the exterior can prove a versatile and effective compost bin. Here you can see a PowerPoint demonstration of how to make a compost bin for around 20 bucks out of a trash barrel. It includes ways to properly aerate your compost at the bottom of the barrel. One more way to gain a wonderful compost bin is out of used pallets. If you're savvy on websites like Craigslist, you've probably noted different times seeing free pallets for pickup. In this instructional video below, you'll see how to create a small stable-like compost bin with an enormous circumference. If you choose this option, please note you'll also need four corner brackets and a screwdriver in addition to the items listed above. And one quick thing on pallets. You hear, I mean, I do have pallets. Uh, and, and did make my compost bin out of pallets. I've had it for a few years now, and uh, the wood is starting to rot uh, on there, but um, or at least on the bottom portions of the pallets. But I think there's been so much, um, you know, things on Pinterest and so many websites and articles and stuff like that about building, you know, using pallets that I don't know how easily available uh pallets are anymore you know i when when i've looked before in the past i haven't been able to find it so maybe they're just they're just getting uh picked up really really quickly uh, there was times at school where, where there was pallets just laying around it i'm like hey uh you know is that is that for anything like yeah we take them we 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 take them back to where uh you know where we stack stuff up on so um you know but i think it's it's getting a little bit harder to find pallets with all the the interest in them all right all right let's continue Rotten compost? Sound, sounds kind of redundant, doesn't it? Your compost, while an organic material, can be created the wrong way, making it essentially useless and rather stinky. Your compost needs to breathe. In order to do that, you should regularly churn the compost bin components with, components with a pitchfork or something of that sort so the matter resting at the bottom has a chance to oxidize. Components in your compost make an array of odors when certain balances are thrown off. Compost piles smell like ammonia when they give off excess nitrogen, which is in short ammonia. If you're adding high nitrogen enriched components to your pile, this is bound to happen. This is most common when your compost has an abundance of green materials. One pro tip to avoid having to turn your pile often, since it can be a narc, narc, 
customizing experience is to jam a few sticks in the center of your pile. It allows for air to essentially leak in, aerating the inside of the compost heap, taking out some of the guesswork for you. Dead leaves and brushes, brush are extremely high in carbon and as a result compost slowly on their own. When mixed into the larger pile, they may slow or even stop entirely. Your, your compost is likely moisture. Throw on a pair of gloves and dig through the heap. If it's not moist enough, the decomposition process will halt completely. This can be easily remedied with a quick run over with the hose. If you're following the three cubic feet suggestion, run the hose for 10 seconds a piece in six different spots. One minute should do the trick. Dead leaves are brown. Food waste is green. You need a healthy balance of your compost. So building the heat. Equipped with basic knowledge of what compost is and how to create your own, compost bin along with maintaining your compost it's time to get a pile going you'll be surprised at what is considered organic compostable waste yard trimmings take a poke around the yard you could certainly trim back a bit or perhaps you already have a small pile in the corner the the contents of your mower fallen twigs branches any removed moss it's all good shredded newspaper pretty cool right each one of your morning papers could do just as well in the recycling bin as they could in your yard. In an SHTF scenario, you're probably not going to get daily newspapers delivered. Any that you have lying around, rip them into little bits and toss them in the bin. Okay, if an SHTF scenario hits, you're going to want to use newspaper. You're going to want to save that for toilet paper, just FYI on that. Uh, wood chips. Ever heard of mulch fires in the dead of summer? That's because mulch is constantly decomposing. It makes a great addition for compost heaps. Coffee grounds. This includes the wet filters after you make a pot of coffee. It's paper and will aid in keeping moisture in the compost as well as the water trapped in the ground. Eggshells crushed. They take a little while to decompose but add a great blend to your compost. Tea leaves. Loose. Unless you can verify that the tea bags are created of natural organic material like hemp, you'll want to loosen the leaves before adding them to the compost. Use paper napkins and towels. Same principle as the coffee filters. Paper comes from, the, from nature. It can go back. Fruit and vegetable scraps. Well, this one's probably not that. Read below to see what of this category should not go in your compost pile. I think there was something missing here in the, in the sentence. Uh, but uh, I think he was trying to say uh, not all of it will go. Not all fruit and vegetables should be in there. Alright, cooked rice. This applies to all pasta, stale bread, also tortilla chips, potato chips, and crackers, hair, either from your hairbrush or bread, beard trimmings, dryer lint from 100% natural fabrics only, no exceptions, old wool clothing, got a sweater, collecting dust in the back of a closet, before cedar moths get a snack, refine it uh, into confetti-like bits. Old herbs and spices, has your oregano gone stale or flat tasting? Toss it in the pile. Nutshells, keep in mind, do not put walnut shells in your compost. It is hazardous to plant, to plant matter. There's no way around this rule. This is toxic. Cardboard, cut it up into miniature bits. It adds a great deal of volume. Egg cartons, cardboard styled only. Chop them up finely. And crumbs, this may sound minuscule, but things... About the amount, think about the amount of food particle crumbs you sweep up in one given day, let alone a whole month. It adds up. I've gotten so much as a football-sized pile of crumb compost material in one month. 
So I don't know, um, just from my experiences, I don't know how much like um, the wool, like cutting up wool into small pieces and herbs. I don't know if I would want to put herbs and spices in there. I would want to keep those and cutting up cardboard and stuff. Uh, I guess if, you know, uh, you can do that. I mean, it, it would work. I just don't know how much I want to, how much time I want to spend doing that. Uh, I think, you know, my, my uh, compost bin is fine with, you know, the, the leaves that I put in there and then the, the grass and the green material that, that gets put in there. All right, so continuing on, advanced options, tumblers. We have the basics. Now let's get a bit on the wild side with this. We're going to look at larger productions of compost. If you viewed the previous video I provided about pallet-style compost bins, you can see a good example of how much I'm talking about. You can also get equivalent amounts of compost from another type of bin. We're going to take a look at tumblers. These are essentially extreme large compost bins on stands which are excellent and useful for multiple reasons. You can more easily access your compost once it's completed and ready to be spread among your crops. No crouching down to the smallest corner on the floor. Look, look at this video below to see how easy it is using a compost tumbler. When adding a plethora of vegetation and fruit-based compost, you need to keep one thing in mind, rodents. Especially in a less than favorable scenario, the possibility of rodents infestation could potentially be on the rise. Most tumblers are elevated at least 14 inches off the ground, resting on lightweight construction metal pipes. It prevents any critters with a collapsible skeleton from scaling the structure and gnawing at your compost. Not only that, but it allows for easy and mess-free churning of your compost. No pitchforks or churning forks necessary, even less maintenance than compost already requires. A really cool feature on most of these, apart from the fact that they can hold upwards of 65 gallons of compost, the highest capacity of the ones I'd recommend, is the ventilation system. Usually in the form of a grate, these nifty features can aerate your compost for a while, releasing any extra nitrogen that may be toying with the brown-green ratio. For the most part, these types of tumbler-style compost bins ship anywhere in the continental United States from major retailers such as Amazon. If you're planning to create a post-apocalyptic farm, something that will secure a powerful place in an existing communities, you'll want a small, arm small armada of these tumblers for optimized farm usage. Okay, so I have, um, I have purchased a tumbler. I uh, picked one up off of Craigslist. Actually, it was... Uh, uh, I bought a bunch of plants off of a lady and pots and different things like that and the compost. This it was a small compost tumbler that kind of came with it, you know, for an extra 15 bucks. So I went ahead and picked it up, and then my father-in-law has given me one. The things that I found that 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 I found about this, first of all, when you put materials in there, you do need to put some dirt that has you know the microbial growth in there. So if you already have a compost bin or you already have you know, you want to go get maybe a shovel full of your, uh, you know, your garden dirt and put it in there because you want the microbes to start, you know, to be in there to be able to start eating away at all the things that are, you know, the, all the the compost that's in there. So and and helps helps it to break down. The other thing that I noticed is that it does tend to dry out a little bit more easily than uh, the compost bin that I had just have made with pallets. Um, so, you know, you got to be checking it on a regular basis. And if you're not out there turning it, 
you know, every day or whatever, you're not going to make the compost as fast as they say you can make it. So you really got to kind of stay on it. Mine are off to the side, and so I forget to turn them a lot. So it's kind of like one of those things that when I when I go out there, when I remember, I turn it. But, you know, for the most part, uh, it's there. But those are two things that, to remember when you're thinking about those tumblers, all right? All right. Uh, mistakes to avoid. I take it this is your first time really contemplating the production of compost, whether in small personal batches or in large quantities. Personally, I use two of the 65-gallon Lifetime brand compost tumblers at my homestead. It produces more than enough for up to 10 people and basically works for itself. With the, with the woods at the back end of my property, I can scour the forest line for 15 to 20 minutes and come up with gallons and gallons of brown compostable items. That being said, there is a level of of experience that comes with creating compost on a constant basis. Things you should avoid are as follows. Don't start small. Although I explained this in a test size of three cubic feet, if you're serious about doing this, start with a cheap custom-made compost bin like we talked about earlier. It's a great preliminary before you spend $80 to $105 on professional compost bin. Don't depend on one source. For Compostable, compostable matter, that is, things come and go in supply and there isn't one way to know what will be available. Keep your options open between green and brown matter. Don't get overwhelmed. It's easy. Don't overthink it. 99% of the time and it work, it's all nature's way. Don't use citrus peels. I know earlier I stated to use fruit and vegetable peels without prejudice. However, one of your greatest... Uh, attributing factors to a fast decom decomposition are worms inhabiting the compost pile. Citrus peels can kill them. Compost is not a divine art. Mistakes can be made, some of which need solutions in the moment. A problem. There are maggots in my compost. Solution. You don't want them in there. Pouring boiling water over any Pour boiling water over any visible maggots. They'll die and become part of the compost heap. A problem. My compost isn't heating up. Your compost solution, your compost heap, needs to be between 120 Fahrenheit, degrees Fahrenheit and 160 degrees Fahrenheit at all times to ensure proper microbial breakdown. You're lacking nitrogen-rich compost. Add green matter, mix, or tumble, and check again. The problem, it's dry or dusty. Solution, you're simply lacking moisture. If you live in the West where it often gets dry and dusty, you need... You may need to moisten your compost more frequently. Make sure to blend it again and check the center of the compost. If the center isn't moist, add more water. Problem. It's growing plants. Solution. You haven't met that threshold of 120 degrees Fahrenheit to kill all seed life. If the plants are simply common weeds, this tends to happen from time to time. Rip them out and blend or tumble your piles again. It should prevent another weed from popping up for quite some time. Problem. Large critters are eating my compost. Solution. If you've built a lockable lid compost bin, I hate to tell you, raccoons have caught on. They can sometimes open these. Depending on what your compost contains, these scavengers can sniff out kitchen scraps one might toss out on a normal basis and ravage it. Add a lock and key if it's a serious issue, or bury your kitchen waste deeper in the compost bins to ward off any scent these critters may, can, can pick up. Not only will you harvest, not only will your harvest be bountiful under the supercharged growth of your homemade compost, but you'll have spent absolutely no money beyond the startup cost of a proper bin and equipment. 
A one-time fee for a lifetime of compost, housing, and nurturing. It'll come in handy. Trust me. All right, so uh, there are a lot of videos on this article that you're going to want to check out. All right, so let's go ahead and move on to the next one. It comes to us from the Prepper Journal, and this article is called Being Honest with Yourself, a Prepping Reality Check. A lot of uh, helpful information here and a lot of comments that you'll want to see as well. So let's start reading this one. The more articles and prepping books I read and the YouTube videos I watch, I find a very obvious question that I don't think people are asking themselves. The more I start to question if these people have anything valuable to say or worthwhile to show. What is this huge imposing question? Are these preppers being honest with themselves? Now I realize in the survival lifestyle there is a lot of ways to break it down. From bugging in or out, which kind of food storage to have, how to defend yourself, which weapons to own, the list can go on and on. But the word survival itself is where I think people are completely missing the point. Survival. It's not a TV show. It's not a video game. There are no restarts and no second chances. You do or die, make the right call or fail, eat or starve. It's not glamorous. It's not pretty. And if it happens to you, it won't be the Hollywood version you have seen on movies. With these thoughts in mind, I have compiled a selected few topics I think people should reevaluate in their lives and make and give yourself a prepping reality check. Why are you prepping anyway? First and foremost, what in the hell are you prepping for and why? Do you live in an area prone to floods or hurricane alley? Is your home in a place that has regularly harsh winters or some other kind of recurring natural disasters? If so, then you have an easy to envision goal to strive for. When part of your normal life could be that you're snowed in and can't get out for two months, it's nice to have food, water, and heat that you can provide for yourself. If you live in flood zones, it's nice to have sandbags handy that are all ready filled and ready to go and other natural methods of water diversion. But then I read of people who prepare for this Teotwaki and I take a step backwards and wonder what that means to them. For my wife, the end of the world as we know it is a world without Facebook. To a guy at work, it's no TV and no way to charge his vape batteries. To others, it's a nuclear holocaust as it's portrayed in the Fallout video games. Before you start prepping, you need to have a vision of something realistic that you are prepping for. I find it easy to think of a certain problem. For example, how will I stay warm and go from there? Find a simple problem and then find several different ways to fix that particular problem. Keep your problems small and you can tackle them more easily. Don't start with how to heat your house. Focus instead on how am I going to stay warm. How am I going to keep my safe room warm? Because honestly, you don't need your whole house to be warm. You don't even need your room to be warm. All you need is your body to be warm to survive. Once you start breaking basic problems down, you'll see that you are a lot better off and better prepared to face your challenges. This is also great for somebody who is just starting out and prepping or maybe have been doing it for a while but feel like they are missing something or there is a giant hole in their supplies. Focus on the little things because you start adding a bunch of little things up and they become a very big thing. Would it, would it be cool to have NBC gear and gas masks for nuclear fallout? To have full body armor and a diverse array of weaponry at your disposal? Sure, it would be, but that's all it would be. Cool. For most people, it would not be practical. When you're wearing all that cool gear, starving or dying from dehydration, you will wish you would have used that money to prepare for something that could have been used, not something tactical. 
your supplies won't last forever. Second, realize that everything you hoard will run out. It's not a lifeline, it's a buffer. There is no way the average person has enough room and space, let alone money, to stockpile roughly 50 years of food and water, nor have the ability to move it around if needed. The most common responses I get from people when asked what they'll do in an emergency is, we have rice and beans and we'll be fine, or we'll just garden, we won't need the grocery store. The problem with these people is that they don't consider the amount of water for rice and beans or the amount of time food takes to grow. The one single solitary thing that will keep you alive are skills. Having a stockpile is great, and I myself am working on creating one, but you must have the skills and the materials to replenish that stockpile before it's all gone. Many people who garden rarely stockpile plain empty canning jars and lids or know of or have the skills to preserve garden harvest from spoiling. Folks who plan to hunt either haven't done it in a while or only know how to use a firearm. They've never used or considered a bow, trap, snares, or other methods. They are just planning on being able to go hunt and survive. They don't consider how skilled and lucky you have to be or to even see game, let alone how much competition from other people trying to survive they will encounter. Another huge problem with stockpiling is people becoming targets to looters. Chances are someone has seen you unloading your massive amounts of beans and rice at one point or another or someone you know is aware of that root cellar you have outside. When you have so much crap that you can't easily hide it, others are going to look at you as their lifeline or their target. Last note on stockpiling is stop stockpiling crap. Will a hundred empty peanut butter jars be helpful? Probably not as much as you think because there are going to be so many other empty peanut butter jars out there. Will a hand... Will a hundred cheap flashlights from the dollar store be the cure-all for lights? Good reliable gear is not cheap. I'm not saying that you have to spend a million dollars to have decent gear or as a, lo- as a lot of it is a way other overpriced but have something that's quality but not just crap. You will appreciate it one day. How much is too much? Good reliable gear brings us into our third topic. Don't be a gear whore. Is having some backup gear nice to have? Yes. But don't we all get that momentary high from getting new things? All that gear you have stocked away is going is great, but do you know how to use it? What good does it do you to have an AR and all the ammo in the world if you don't know how to shoot it? Can you properly tear it down, clean, and lube it? What usefulness does a fully loaded medic bag do if you don't even know basic wound care, CPR, or even what's in the bag? I find a lot of people will buy these ultimate anything bags and throw them in a corner and think they are good to go without ever really knowing what's in them. They have never used any of the supplies before. Hell, sometimes they haven't even unwrapped some of the components inside. The best way for gear to assist you is if you have the skills to use it properly. You want a surefire way of knowing what gear you need for a 72-hour bag. Throw in some minor stuff and go survive out of it for 72 hours. Try and build a shelter by testing out that weirdo from YouTube's latest, greatest shelter design. Try and build a solar still and see how much water you get. Live in an urban environment? Pack a bag and try to leave the city. See how fast and how far you can get each day on foot. Find safe places to hole up for the night. There is a reason why highly skilled military operatives go through so many mock training courses because that is the only way you'll know how you will react in that situation. 
You train over and over and then reflect back on the experience. It builds muscle memory. Do you really need that $400 ultralight tent or is a tarp that much better to use? Sure, flint and steel are a good idea, but should I have some matches to use too? Only by going out and trying out your gear will you know if it fits your plan of action and if it actually works for you. Most of you will probably be pretty disappointed. What shape are you in? Now let's talk about physical fitness levels. I work on my feet for 8 to 10 hours a day, eat like a typical mid-20 year old, and weigh 150 pounds. Can I throw on an extra 20 pound bag and walk for 15 miles a day, then sleep on a cold ground and eat crappy food and walk another 15 miles the next day? The answer is no, and if you ask yourself that question, your answer is still probably the same. Everyone has the crazy idea of running to the mountains and living like the old school mountain men. The problem is that most mountains are a few hours, if you're lucky, in a vehicle and a few weeks by foot. Can you make that distance? I'm not saying that you need to spend 8 hours a day in a gym working out getting ready for SHTF, but a few hours a week is probably not a bad idea for anyone. Getting to know your body physically your body's physical limits is a good idea but pushing them is even better once you think you know how much you can take it allows you to start breaking down those mental barriers that are preventing you from achieving more a part of overall fitness is physical health as well this is especially important to those of you who are dependent on medications to survive I am not talking about medications to just make life a little easier or lower risk of certain types of things but to physically stay alive in a survival situation, there is no drugstores, no pharmacy, and there will be no way to renew that medication. If your health is dependent on these medications, in the short term, you die. Everything you have stockpiled will be of no help for you. I'm sorry, but the laws of nature and natural selection are what a survival situation really comes down to. The strong survive and reproduce. The weak die off, and the ones who have bad traits die off. There is no way around this problem. Now, for those who take a blood pressure medicine to prevent risk of heart attack, you'll probably die of a heart attack once your meds run out and you're in a high-stress situation. But you can still go on, still fight, and survive because you are not dependent upon your meds to stay breathing. For those people who are in the category, you need to seriously reevaluate re your plans and your expectations as you have the hardest and shortest of times. It's time for some to have a reality check. Last, I want to talk about some people's grand plans and ideas they have to survive an SHTF scenario. I'll break this up into two sections, bugging in and, and, and out. Bugging out. Let's start with bugging out. A 72-hour bag bug out bag is supposed to get you to a well-supplied location within a 72-hour walking distance. It's not meant to live out for the rest of your life. It's not meant to stock your bug out location. It's to get you from your home to your bug out location or some other safer location. People overcomplicate the hell out of bug out bags. Light and fast should be the motto when building a bug out bag. A lot of people will argue against this idea and try to pack as much prepping supplies as they can carry. If that's you, then you don't have a 72-hour bag. You have an inch bag, I'm never coming home, where you will need extra things to survive because you don't have a survival stash location. Your plan is that you are heading out the door and you will be forced to survive with everything on your back. Another question I hear frequently is what if your location isn't 72 hours away? What if it's five or six days away? Well then, you need to have a resupply location in between your home and your location. A temporary bug out location, if you will, that some people call a cache. A survival cache is a place that you have 
that you have a, another fully loaded 72-hour bag ready to go or at least additional items to resupply what you have used already. If at all possible, this cache location is also a place where you can rest for a little while and regain some strength and stamina. People might wonder why this is necessary and the answer to that is weight. If you have a resupply location, you can carry only the items you need to get out to that point. You don't have to add on the extra three days worth of water and food. Instead of having a 60-pound pack, you can now have a nice 25-pound pack that you're able to travel a lot faster with. Obviously, stashing a pack takes some planning and thought process, but it's much easier on the back if the, if the mind does all the work. Seriously, reconsider what your bug out plan is. I realize that sometimes 72 hours away isn't far enough distance away from a problem, so plan ahead of time. Bugging in. Now let's cover bugging in. I like bugging in because it doesn't involve as much walking, plus there are softer beds to be slept in. But the thing with bugging in is security from a number of aspects. First, when you are on the road in a survival situation, you're a target. Some losers will think he can come and take what you have and you will need to be ready to take a life if it's required unless you want to jeopardize your safety or your supplies. The second risk is a theft situation. You and your supplies need to be locked up tight from anyone trying to break in, which means a better built door and windows to start with. Whatever it takes to keep people locked out. Third is a smoke, smoked out situation. In the old days, people would die from being trapped in a house because looters or a mob burnt it down and they were trapped inside. The solution isn't to have a secret escape route uh, out of the house. Uh, it's to have a fireproof house. They make metal roofs and concrete siding, of all of which are fireproof, and if enough money is spent on windows, not even small arms can get through them. Bunkers are nice but unpractical as the cost of construction, and they pose their own set of problems with airflow and sanitation. Consider the construction of your house to determine the safety of your house. Remember, the home is your castle and that's what needs defending and they sure didn't build them out of wood back in the day. Maybe go, go back through the house and analyze how you would survive your firefight or a Molotov cocktail incident. To conclude, I just want to bring reality back to people. I myself get caught up with having a huge stockpile of stuff the best gear I can afford in my bob, and planning for a highly unlikely scenario when there's a more probable uh, one to plan and prepare for. I want people to be able to take away something positive from this article that will help improve their chances of life in a terrible situation. It's easy to get caught up in all of the hype and the latest and greatest survival gear, but ultimately it comes down to you and your skills, mental ability, and your planning that will let you see another day. If you take the time to go back through your checklist and evaluate with an honest heart, how will you have things together and have prepared, I promise you won't regret it. So that, like I said uh, before, there's a lot of comments here in uh, on this article and uh, a lot of information here. Just It's good to kind of think back about that, that reality check and what are you prepping for. Again, uh, I mentioned it before, even just last week. When you start, if you're new into prepping in which... A lot of people that are, uh, I believe, coming to the podcast and then also uh, coming to the 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 new email list, um, you know, are, are newer. Uh, I think the the newer I'm tracking it. You know, there's a there's a little poll when you when you log when you first sign up. 
uh, I send you a welcome email, and then there's a poll that you can take. And uh, one of the questions is, you know, how long have you been prepping? I just kind of want to get an idea of what, what's out there. And for a long time, it was split between um, those that were prepping for five years and more, and then those who are prepping five years and, and, and lower. But now it's starting to increase where the, the five and, and below, people that have been prepping five years and below, is starting to increase. So, uh, you know, there, there's the potential of newer preppers out there, and definitely preppers that have just recently started, really just come to Prepper website and, uh, and the podcast. And so uh, the tendency is that you go out there and you, you just kind of you see how fragile life is and you start without a plan. You just start buying stuff, man. And by the time you know it, you have all this junk. He's like, you know, what, what good is that? You know, I, I remember when I was there. I remember the, when, my, when my eyes were uh, when I woke up, you know, quote unquote, woke up to how fragile we are. Uh, I was walking into stores, man, and it was it wasn't I was in there to with my grocery list. I was in there, you know, what do I need to survive? And uh, you know, you you've got to get past that pretty quickly and and get to a plan. And so while we talk about the plan, you got to get to a plan and uh, not just work off of fear. Uh, you don't ever want to do that. So uh, a lot of good information here. Hopefully you. Um, You'll go check it out because there are a ton of links in here, uh, just linking to other things. So uh, even that weirdo from the YouTube latest and greatest shelter design. <laughs> so you can go there and uh, it's it's a uh, it's a search on YouTube for shelters, building shelters, but then a lot of different videos uh, on there. All right, so let's go ahead and go on to our last one. Comes to us from American Preppers Online. Sarge has been doing. Uh, a countdown of the eight most likely disaster scenarios. So he's on number three, and this one is civil war. And this is, uh, I know that I've talked about it before. This is one that uh, at the beginning I would have said, nah, you know, this isn't, this isn't as likely. But since November and since uh, the election and looking at how things are so divided in this country, um, people can start to see uh, more and more how easy civil war can happen. In fact, when, you know, I talk about Martin Armstrong uh, from Armstrong Economics quite a bit. And uh, we even link to his stuff, although you know, his stuff is more economic and, and you know, political sometimes. We link to his stuff on Prepper website. But um, you know, he, he's envisioning, or not envisioning, he looks at cycles and he's got a computer. It, it's not like an all-knowing computer. It's... it's uh, uh, a computer program where he he puts in just data and looking at cycles and looking how things are going and the way things are going mate he he is he believes that the United States could split up by 2030 uh just the way things are going and and how negative things are and and uh what's going on so um you know he's not one of those doom porn guys where you know he he tries to be a little little bit more level headed and calls things out there but uh, I mean, that's kind of what he's saying. When you think about 2030, that's not very far away, you know, uh, from where we are right now. Um, but I, th I think those of you that are, you know, listening to this podcast and um, you have your, your, you know, you're a little bit more aware and you're paying attention to what's going on out there. You know that uh, you know how easy it is. You know that, you know, uh, when people talk about civil war, it is uh, something that's very, very probable. Uh, I know that one of the things that I believe it was in Berkeley or is in California somewhere where, um, 
you know, the left was protesting, and but the right, you know, those conservatives, the right, uh, uh, I, I don't I can't remember if it was veterans or it was the motorcycle uh, people, you know, who it was exactly, but they were a little bit more prepared to deal with the violence, right? Uh, but so then after that, you start hearing reports about the left starting to train up and starting to get some training on how to be more violent and, and what they need to be able to do. So anyway, with that, let's go ahead and start this, uh, this article. Again, American Preppers Online. Uh, I'm going to read this from Sarge. Eight most likely disaster scenarios countdown number three, Civil War. Hello, my friends, and welcome back. Today, we continue with our eight most likely disaster scenarios countdown. Today, we have scenario number three, which is Civil War. So grab a cup of coffee, my friend, and have a seat uh, And while we visit. When you say Civil War, many people think of the war between the North and the South in days gone by. The one this post refers to is the war between the left and the right. Both parties become more, both parties become more polarized with each passing day. It's only a matter of time till it reaches a breaking point and blood spills into the streets. Some say it has already begun with the killing of our law enforcement officers, and they might be right. Here is just one small scenario where this might play out. After a long day's work as a deputy sheriff, Mike unlocked his dirty wooden door to his small home, walked in, and collapsed on the sofa. What the hell is wrong with people nowadays, he wondered, leaning his head back and closing his eyes for a few minutes' rest and to try to clear his mind of the day's events. In his last 12-hour shift, he had responded to 14 calls for help, many of which were either family members fighting with other family members or neighbors against neighbors. Has everyone lost their damn mind? In the last month alone, his department had lost two officers to the violence that was now threatening to spill out in the streets. It feels like civil war, he thought as he reached for the remote and turned on his TV. It immediately opened to the news channel. The news reporter was trying to cover a demonstration organized by Black Lives Matter and the new liberal Communist Party, which had been created by university professors to push their liberal agenda. They were being backed by George Soros as well as several high-ranking liberal politicians. What made it even worse was their shouts that all whites must die in retribution for the actions of their ancestors. What made it worse was that they hid, had become recognized as a legitimate political party and were gaining momentum. As Mike watched the scene unfold on TV, the white female reporter was trying to interview some of the demonstrators when a man casually walked up beside her, pulled out a pistol, stuck it to her head, and pulled the trigger. The news quickly to the, returned to the newsroom where the anchor sat dumbfounded with their mouths agape. Quickly, however, the station began running advertisements while it regrouped. Mike sat in stunned silence, not believing what he had just witnessed. As a deputy sheriff, he had seen people killed several times in his career, but never with such casual detachment. This is getting way out of hand, he thought, as he walked to the fridge for a beer to help him try to relax. Later, as the TV anchors regained their composure, they resumed reporting on the ongoing violence. The scene of the reporter had been picked up by national news and played across the country. Now there were major riots breaking out in very large cities across the country. To make things even worse, U.S. veterans, along with millions of conservatives across the nation, had joined forces and were now directly confronting the demonstrators on the streets across the U.S., the riots had turned into battle zones and the cities were all engulfed in all-out war that pitched race against race as well as religion and political parties against each other. 
a congressman now on TV saying that the left had been marginalized for far too long and the fighting in the streets would continue day and night until all of their demands were met. It had become civil war and the only time would tell how it would turn out. In civil war, there are no winners, Mike thought, as his phone dinged, indicating he had received a text. Looking down at it, he realized he was being called back to work to help handle the violence. As Mike grabbed his riot gear and headed out the door, he was taken aback by the number of people standing in the road in front of his home. Seeing him, they all began to shout, Death to all pigs! As Mike stood frozen in place, his only thought was, I should have been prepared for this. It has been brewing for a while, and I have done nothing to prepare. But then, what could I have done? Anyone who has been paying attention to current affairs here in the U.S. knows just how easily the disaster scenario could become real. Having lost the presidential election, many liberals are becoming more and more violent as attacks continue on our law enforcement officers. The time to prepare for such a scenario is now, no matter how unlikely you may consider the threat. As always, you will need the basics such as food, water, and medical supplies, but you will also need firearms and ammo to protect yourself should you need a scanner with the ability to receive your local police and medical emergency frequencies could make the difference between life and death. A ham radio station setup that is able to receive both HF and VHF and UHF frequencies to let you know what is going on not only in your area but across the nation as well. Take the time now to learn to defend yourself and always be aware of your surroundings. Don't wait until it's too late to decide you need to prepare and take a chance of getting caught off guard. Just remember that the only person who can save you in a crisis like the one above is you. Well, that's it for today's post, and I hope you have found it interesting. So until next time, stay safe, stay strong, and stay prepared. God bless America. Sarge. All right, so there's a, a lot of, uh, again, a lot of comments here in on this one. A lot of people responding uh, to. And so... You know, when you when you think about this, you might be able to see you start seeing some of this um, uh, in in other parts of the world. Definitely, um, where you see things are happening in Venezuela and Brazil. I mean, the cops uh, in Venezuela are barely holding on uh, over there. And uh, I, I'd read a, a report, a story on you know one of them, uh, and basically, I mean, you know, it's almost to the point that um, it's not worth them holding the line anymore because they're not they're not getting what they need to survive either in venezuela so uh pretty much you know pretty soon the cops will be turning on the government as well over there but uh you know you think about what's happened in london this weekend um you know with uh the stabbings and the the running over with uh, of the car uh, you know, on London's bridge, and seven people were murdered, 40 people hurt, and this is about 12 or 13 days uh, from that Ariana Grande concert where little little girls were were killed. You know, young kids were were killed, and uh, so you can easily see where people would get fed up, right? But you know, in a situation like that, you already have a lot of you know a lot of uh, you know in the 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 article here mentioned you know separated on religious lines you already have a lot of for instance uh if people start turning against muslims uh you already have a lot of them over in europe you know and so that it would seem like uh you know civil war there there could be war out in the streets if uh people start to do that but i don't know they're uh you know sometimes they they're like hey we just need to love love everyone a little bit more and that's going to solve it all 
Uh, I don't know about that. But uh, it does mean, I believe, that we need to be a little bit more diligent uh, on on keeping an eye out, right? Um, there's so many people that I talk to when I when I was on the campus that I you know I would hear something and I would bring bring it up and like they had no idea uh, no idea what was going on no idea just recently I talked to someone about the the ransomware thing that had gone on and I had made a joke about it about the computer not working at work and I said oh yeah maybe it's ransomware whatever whatever and they're like what and they they hadn't heard the news about what was going on you know and uh, so. Um, you know, I, I think that we need to be a little bit more diligent about uh, paying attention out there. Uh, again, one of the things that I use uh, is Twitter. I use Twitter for news. Uh, I have my own uh, personal one where I do, you know, I, I, I tweet on education and uh, religious stuff. Uh, but the one for Prepper website are pretty much it's news. I mean, so I'm, you know, I link to the stuff on Twitter. Things are going out all the time on Twitter. But for the most part, my feeds are filled with news, and so I'm looking to, um, you know, to stay up to up to date. And so it's so easy when something's going down, like London. When London's going down, people start hashtagging London, and you can click on it, and you can have a running update. Sometimes it's going so fast you can't keep up with it because so many people are tweeting and giving information out there and, and linking to videos, and and it's just it's amazing how fast information can travel nowadays. But uh, you know that's that's what I do out there. But uh, we need to stay a little bit more diligent. Uh, I think we're, we're at that point in in society where we need to do that. So that's it for episode 76. Hey, thanks so much for uh, paying attention and hanging in there with me if you're here towards the end. Hey, don't forget to go over to Prepper website. We've got a lot of great articles over there for you. And again, you know, we always have those pages. We've got the alt news page if you're looking for alternative news. We've got frugal, the frugal page, the DIY. We've got the shooters gallery if you're into firearms. All different kinds of articles listed there uh, off of feeds. So we have uh, tons of information over there to keep you busy all day long if you're looking for more preparedness-related information. All right? So uh, hope to see you there. That's PrepperWebsite.com. And again, hey, we appreciate it if you come out to the PrepperWebsitePodcast.com and share out our information or sh- share out our episodes and our uh, website. We always appreciate that. So with that, choose to live a more self-reliant life. Choose not to be so dependent on the government grid or the grind. Until tomorrow, stay prepped and aware. Peace.